From Happy Cat Studios in Indianapolis, Indiana, it's time for the Rick's Rambles podcast for the week of October 3rd, 2022. Can you believe October is already here? It's hard to believe, isn't it? Well, let's get right into our fun facts of the week. Fun facts. Well, since it's the month of October, it's the month we celebrate Halloween, and something you may or may not know about me was that as a kid, I was not allowed to celebrate Halloween. We grew up in a church that anything like that was strictly forbidden. As an adult, I kind of get all wrapped up in the spirit of Halloween, the old classic horror and monster movies and the folklore, Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster and all kinds of things related to Halloween. That's what our fun facts are about today. It's all about UFOs. Are you ready? Here we go. The term UFO was first used in the 1950s in reference to reports from the United States Air Force. UFO, of course, stands for Unidentified Flying Object, a term that the Oxford English Dictionary says was coined in 1953 by writer Donald Kehoe in an issue of Airline Pilot. Number two, more recent government reports also use the term UAP, one that I've not heard, among other abbreviations. UFO isn't the only acronym used to refer to these crafts. A recently released government report uses UAP or Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, amongst other creative abbreviations. Number three, the term UFO does not refer to aliens, just to flying objects. Just because we call something a UFO doesn't necessarily mean that there are aliens involved. Of course, the two terms are associated in the public consciousness, but UFO is just an aircraft. I love this, and I had no idea about this. The Foo Fighters took their name from an old term referring to UFO-like objects. You know the Foo Fighters as a rock band headed up by Dave Grohl, but the term dates back to World War II. The word Foo seemingly originated from Smokey Stuver, a popular comic at the time. Members of the 415th Night Fighter Squadron paired it with the word Fighters to describe weird, annoying balls of light they spotted in the air over Germany. A connection between the Foo Fighters and UFOs. How fascinating is that? Number five, a misquoted pilot brought the term flying saucer into the public consciousness. The phrase flying saucer has a pretty fascinating history. It seems to have gotten its big break after an incident that occurred on June 24, 1947. Pilot Kenneth Arnold was flying near Mount Rainier looking for plane wreckage when he spotted nine metallic objects in the sky. They were huge. Arnold estimated that each was about the size of a DC-4 aircraft and moving, he estimated, around 1,200 miles per hour. He thought they were military planes and reported them, at which point the press misquoted him as saying the objects were flying saucers, and that phrase was born. Well, UFOs in the 1960s were huge news, and Life magazine once wrote about UFOs. The article, which was called Have We Had Visitors from Space, appeared in an April 1962 issue of Life magazine and featured 10 UFO cases that, in the opinion of one scientist quoted in the article, have an out-of-this-world basis. Well, when we think about UFOs, we often think about the 1950s and 1960s, but they've been around for centuries. Long before either Kenneth Arnold or Life magazine, people were spotting UFOs in the skies and either drawing them or writing about them. As Richard Strothers put in a 2007 piece for the Classic Journal, throughout recorded history, reports of what today we might call unidentified flying objects have been made and preserved. Number eight, some ancient UFOs may have natural explanations. In that same classical journal paper, Strothers focused on the ancient Romans who wrote about strange things in the sky all the time. Some of them can definitely be explained by natural
natural phenomena like eclipses or meteor showers. Others, well, not so much. Which brings us to our next point. Some ancient UFO sightings are quite a bit harder to explain. In 74 BC, thousands of people witnessed a strange event as Plutarch wrote about 150 years later a huge flame-like body, silver in color and shaped like a wine jar, interrupting two warring enemies. And perhaps the most fascinating one to me, in 16th century Europe, there was an apparent UFO battle in the skies. Things didn't get any less weird when you fast forward to the 1950s when people living in Germany and Switzerland reported seeing strangely shaped cigar-shaped objects doing aerial battle and flying around. There you have it, our first fun facts for October all about UFOs. Have you ever seen a UFO? I'd love to hear about it if you have. Well, this week's good news story is one that is indeed good news to both my wife, Holly, and myself. If you know us, you know we're turtle people. Well, we're not literal turtle people. We don't have shells. But although we love all living things, we have a special affinity for turtles. And that's what this week's good news story is all about. Turtle counting teams have recorded the biggest nesting season on the southwest Florida beaches of Bonita, Vanderbilt, and Naples, as well as Marco and Keewaden Islands. Green and loggerhead sea turtles nest all over the beaches of southwest Florida, and volunteers counting the nests have been left astonished at the amount of turtle nests this year. Collier County, which includes all the sea turtle sites except Bonita Beach, registered 1,945 nests, breaking by a wide margin all previous records. This included 609 nests on Keewaden Island alone, which is likely an undercount because high water kept volunteers from reaching part of the island. We have never seen numbers like this, said Principal Environmental Specialist for Collier County, Mara Krause. And they are hatching really, really well. We had thousands of babies underwater and still they hatched. This year also included a couple of firsts. Marco Island registered its first ever green sea turtle nest, and Park Shore Beach in Collier County even found a leatherback turtle nest, the first in the entire history of Florida. Bonita Beach, just north of Collier County, found 282 nests, breaking its 2019 record of just 159. Turtle nests can contain up to 150 eggs, and volunteers ensure that as many as possible have the chance to make it to the ocean. It's a massive support to populations in the Gulf. Just 17 years ago, there were not even 500 nests in all of Florida worrying biologists. We were really, really worried, Krause said. We started on the upward slope in 2016 and have had good years ever since. And this is a massive record-breaking turtle nesting season. Some good news for you this week. I mentioned in the turtle segment that Holly and I have been involved in all kinds of animal welfare, animal rescue, wildlife conservation groups for a long, long time. Essentially all of our adult lives and even back to our teenage years in some way. I'm working with a company right now called Follow. And Follow sells wildlife tracking bracelets. These things are really amazing. They allow you to get an animal and track it in its travels. Holly has watched her turtle travel from the coast of Florida all the way up to Nova Scotia. Now it's working its way back down south for the winter. Funds go to wildlife conservation and to support small independent projects like this podcast. They're a great company. And if you purchase one of these bracelets for yourself or for a Christmas gift, it directly supports both wildlife conservation and this podcast. 
I'll put a link in the show notes in the show description. You can just click on that and purchase your very own wildlife tracking bracelet and support wildlife conservation and the Rick's Rambles podcast. As always, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen. Well, what better way to wrap up the first podcast of October than to take a look at Dracula, perhaps the most enduring horror monster creation of all time, from Ranker.com, the 10 best portrayals of Dracula. Clocking in at number 10, I had absolutely no idea about this. Adam Sandler in Hotel Transylvania. I love Adam Sandler. I had no idea that he had done this. Who knew Adam Sandler would make a good vampire? It's definitely not the most book-accurate version on our list, but there's just something so infectious and endearing about Sandler's portrayal of Dracula that we love. Now, I've got to go look this up and watch it. Number nine, I had completely forgotten this one. Leslie Nielsen and Dracula, dead and loving it. (laughs) If you enjoy the antics and humor of Mel Brooks' Young Frankenstein, think of Dracula, dead and loving it as its successor. Definitely not the most serious version of Dracula, but it might very well be the bloody version on our list. The film is a black comedy through and through, and it would be incomplete without Leslie Nielsen. That's a great movie. I need to re-watch that. Number eight is one I've never heard of, and I've never heard of this person. Luke Evans, Dracula Untold. Sometimes the world doesn't need another hero. Sometimes what it needs is a monster. In his version of Dracula, Luke Evans definitely gives us a little bit of both. One that I think I need to look up. Number seven, Gerard Butler and Dracula 2000. Before he dined in hell with the Spartans, he dined on the flesh of the living as Wes Craven's Dracula in Dracula 2000. This version sees Count Dracula enter the 21st century, and though the film itself is not the greatest ever vampire movie, his performance is worth at least one watch. Number six. Now, i got to tell you, this is a little controversial because a lot of my friends do not agree, but this is what I think is the best portrayal of Dracula. Frank Langella in Dracula. Speaking of over-the-top actors, we have to give props to Frank Langella's portrayal from the 1979 Dracula. This adaptation stays close to the source material. It's highly romanticized, and he may be the only actor to accurately capture the seductiveness of Dracula. It's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Number five, Klaus Kinski and Nosferatu, The Vampire. Although this obscure, terrifying film is technically a remake of 1922's Nosferatu, the original movie was heavily based on Bram Stoker's Dracula. It kind of balances out. This version takes place in Germany rather than foggy London. It's still considered one of the most well-regarded versions. Number four, Graham McTavish, Castle Transylvania. One of the most visually stunning versions of the character has to be that Dracula appears in the Netflix series Castlevania. This is a monster Bram Stoker would be proud of. He's the classic embodiment of the gothic villain, but a passionate and sympathetic creature at the same time. Number three. I'm a little surprised they put this one at number three instead of number one. Bella Lugosi. We can't have a Dracula list without the man that started it all, the legendary Bella Lugosi. Though he was not the first actor to assume the role, he's definitely the one that most people can identify with and associate with the name Dracula. 
Dracula. By the way, did you know he was buried in his famous Dracula cape? Number two, Christopher Lee, various roles. Bella Lugosi may have invented the role of Dracula, but Christopher Lee is the one that perfected it. And I don't think we need to say any more than that. And topping their list at Ranker.com, Gary Oldman in Bram Stoker's Dracula. An amazing performance. There you have it. The 10 best portrayals of Dracula. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of the Rick's Rambles podcast. I hope you've enjoyed listening as much as I've enjoyed making it. Don't forget to share this podcast on your social media. Let folks know what you're listening to. And until next week, be kind to as many people as you can, as often as you can. We'll start right now and we'll make the world a better place.